0: But the point is, is that when a kid needs something fun to do, when they go outside of their home and they look around and all that they have access to is church, school, basketball courts. And stores to buy like to purchase things at and they don't even have jobs yet. Like movie theaters are, are were the place that you went to with your friends. This is a perfect space, a safe space even, to think and to be selfless, to look at somebody else's story, to see your own story reflected and pushed back onto you. For you to think that Maybe I have something to say and somebody would actually want to listen. There's something unique that I want to share with you. There's so many layers to the importance of a movie theater that is so much beyond just the two hours of entertainment. It's so much deeper than that.
1: This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition since 1920. Joined here today by my colleague, Chad Kinnick. Chad, how you doing today?
2: I'm doing good. I got to go camping this weekend, so kind of got away from everything. Um, nice. How are you doing? What did you do this weekend?
1: I finally got out and I saw Barbie. It was actually a, a, new, a new theater to me that I hadn't been to, and there's like... Oh. It's in Kew Gardens, uh, which is the neighborhood where Rodney Dangerfield grew up. So there's like a big mural of him on the outside of it. Oh, wow. (laughs) A lot of old posters, and it's just a really neat old school theater. And the movie was good, and the concessions were were inexpensive, so... (laughs)
2: Hey, you can't beat that.
1: (laughs) No, you sure can't. And speaking of that kind of New York City independent cinema scene, our feature segment this week is with Eileen Laval, the founder of Palais Faux, which is an initiative that brings the cinema experience, brings the outdoor screenings to neighborhoods that are cinema deserts where the people don't have access really to go to a movie theater. So really excited to speak to her about that initiative. It's It's a great thing she's doing. But before that, let's start with the kind of bad news and then and then we'll lead into the good stuff we have a list of release date changes from sony that that came down the peg late last week chad what are we looking at
2: sony being the first major studio since the writers and actors strike to kind of do a big slate adjustment here Gran Turismo is coming out August 25th, and they are trying to kind of get around the whole stars can't promote the movie, but the audience can by doing some sneak peeks on the weekends of August 11th and August 18th.
1: Yeah, because it was originally going to come out on August 11th, right? And now they're pushing the release date, the like proper wide release date back a few weeks and just having more like preview screenings in the hopes that you know, a longer window for for word of mouth to buzz will help this film in the event that the stars can't promote it. There's a change to well, we don't even have the title of it yet, but the the Ghostbusters sequel that was originally going to be around the Christmas of, of this year. What's uh, when when's that moving to?
2: Yeah, so that's getting uh, pitched back a couple months to March 29th of 2024. And the other really big one on here is Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse. They don't have a set date, but it's, it's not going to be on that same March 29th, 2024 date, which now is Ghostbusters.
1: Other than that, we're seeing some changes to like their Spider-Man villain universe. I guess, which, uh, like the Venoms and and all that, what are those films? Because I think we heard about them. I mean, they've been on the radar for years now.
2: Craven the Hunter was expected to come out October 6th of this year, and that's getting bumped to August 30th, 2024, Labor Day weekend. Then we also have Madam Web just getting a slight adjustment. It's moving up to Valentine's Day, February 14th, instead of the 16th of 2024.
1: It's a good idea, I think, uh, in terms of counter-programming. Also, we have uh, some new dates, albeit not new titles for upcoming releases. Uh, there's a Bad Boys sequel that has been confirmed for Father's Day 2024, so June 14th. And then a little bit after that, in uh, July, on July 12th, 2024, the Venom threequel, whatever that ends up being titled. So... And now for the good news, of course, it is Barbenheimer related. What is this that we heard from AMC on those two films?
2: Yeah, so this past weekend, AMC Theaters posted its best admissions revenue week in the company's 103-year history, those dates being from July 21st through the 27th. Barbenheimer continues to set records, including 65 AMC locations that set an all-time single-week box office record.
1: And that's uh, it's great news for exhibition, and we really are, are seeing kind of a box office Dollars kind of uh, spread themselves over several different genres and encounter programming options. Like in holdovers uh, this week, as you mentioned, Barbie and Oppenheimer, uh, both in their second weekends, Barbie had a 43% drop, bringing its domestic total so far to about uh, 351.4 million, 774.5 million worldwide. It's it's looking like this one, if you know barring anything crazy and and it's hard to predict just you know after week two but solid chance at uh, earning the billion dollar club worldwide here which I don't know if anyone expected that much but I don't know with all the work that Warner Brothers put into marketing this thing I think they probably did like that's what they were going for
2: (laughs) yeah and you know what Margot Robbie uh, reportedly said this is going to
1: be a billion dollar movie and it looks like it might come true Oppenheimer week 2 dropped 44% uh, only 26% drop overseas territory which is uh, which is pretty good. So far they are at 174 million domestic. Our new film here at the box office coming in behind those two at spot number 3. You know, I don't know. Disney re- released the Haunted Mansion movie in July when October's right there. I I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that all horror movies need to come out in October. But yeah, how did this one do, Chad?
2: Yeah, you would think with it being a, a spooky title like this, they would have saved it for October. But I think they were trying to capitalize on the kids being out of school, and they did get 24.2 million domestic and 9.1 million international in 35 territories. So globally, 33 million. And, you know, the Eddie Murphy one in 2003 debuted at 24.2 million. So,
1: yeah, like yeah. It's, it's very strange. Exactly. There was a Haunted yeah. Mansion movie in, in 2003 that debuted to 24.2 million. And now yeah. this one debuted to 24.2 million. So,
2: yeah,
1: if you want to kind of extrapolate from that, the 03 Haunted Mansion did earn. Seventy-five point eight million domestic total. So I think that's probably like a fair number to shoot for. But as you said, Disney's really counting on holdovers being strong for this one. On on families kind of during an end of summer vacation last hurrah thing, maybe taking the kids uh, to the movies. I, I think this is definitely something like Elemental also from Disney out earlier this summer where the true test for this movie is going to be where it is and it's you know third fourth fifth weekend not necessarily just this one speaking of legs fourth place we have the independent film Sound of Freedom which declined 37% in its fourth week and has a domestic gross so far of 148.9 million which means it has now earned more than Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One, which granted has has been out, you know, came out a week later, but it has a domestic total now of of $139.2 That's, I don't think anybody expected those films in that order at this point.
2: No, no. Yeah, the Pay It Forward program seems to be really...
1: And if you tune in next week, we have an interview on this podcast with the head of theatrical distribution at Angel Studios, which made the film or distributed the film. So we we talked to him a bit about this uh, innovative pay it forward program. One of the question marks here is of these seats that are being purchased to pay forward. What are the actual admissions? Like how many people are actually claiming them? That's definitely a question. But regardless of whether the seats are full or or not, movie theaters still get that ticket money. So I'm good with it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's still going to help exhibition.
1: We have two big movies coming out this weekend to see if they can topple Barbie from the top of the box office. Who's uh, who, who has a shot here?
2: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem, an animated film from Paramount, opens on Wednesday, August second. We're predicting in the three-day range, twenty-seven to thirty-six million, and then the sequel to. The Meg, Meg to the Trench comes out Friday, August fourth, and the prediction there is in the twenty-two to twenty-seven million range.
1: Okay, so that's that's less like the original Meg, open to forty-five point four. So it looks like we we're we we're expecting a, a pretty sizable diminishing returns on this one. I'm going to be there to see it. I don't know. I, I've been looking forward to that one ever since that stupid trailer at CinemaCon, and I say stupid with affection because it's a movie about giant sharks.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Pretty good combo, really. That would make a great double feature.
1: You interviewed the director of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. You excited for it? Does it sound cool?
2: Oh, yeah. I I had a great conversation with Jeff Rowe, and I've been looking forward to it ever since. It looks like a lot of fun. What do you think we would call this weekend's double feature? I was thinking Mm. Meg Mayhem.
1: Meg Mayhem. I like that. That's the <laughs> sequel to to Megan, the robot killer doll movie. Oh, yeah. That we need to bring her into this like extended universe of Megs and Megans and mutants. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Megs, Megans, and mutants. There you go. Yeah. Chad, thank you so much uh, for joining us. And uh, after this short break, we will be back with my interview with Eileen Baptiste, who's helped bringing the cinema experience to people living in cinema deserts in New York. Be right back. Eileen, thank you so much for joining us today, the founder of Palafo Cinema. Uh, We met at CinemaCon a few months back and I heard about this program that you have going and I just immediately was like, we need to get you on the podcast because it's such a great thing that you're doing, bringing the communal cinema experience to cinema deserts. Can you give me a little bit of background on uh, what Palafo
0: Cinema is, How how you came to start it? Thank you um, for having me, <laughs> Rebecca, and uh, and thank you for letting me tell my story. So, uh, Palépo Cinema, which means to speak up in Haitian Creole, it's to amplify your voice and and in turn impact community. And the purpose, our mission, is to, uh, to use cinema as a conduit to encourage positive recreations for high-risk youth in marginalized communities. And For me, this all started because I had an incredible experience at the movies in the 90s, the decade of blockbuster hits. It was my treehouse. It was the only treehouse that I knew. I knew I was a cinema kid. I knew that this was my path because when the lights would go down and the lights on the screen would brighten, I would be that kid that would turn around and look at the audience. I literally did. I would like peek around me because I was so in awe of what was doing some type of magic on this audience. Now, of course, this was during, uh, it was in Canarsie, Brooklyn. This is where I grew up. Last stop on the L train, a pretty iconic place in Brooklyn. If people, Some people know this as like the Italian spot. They had the best Bialy bagels, best pizza shops, so many amazing things that I grew up in. What was your movie theater? Back when you were growing up. Honestly, it was called Canarsie Movie Theater on Avenue L. And everybody <laughs> knew this theater, and it was just the best place to be. But then White Flight happened, and a lot of the the people that I grew up with in Canarsie, they packed up and they left. And a lot of this change came from um, an influx of people coming in from the island. So we had a huge Caribbean population coming in. What also left are the shops that I grew up with and the movie theater also closed down. And what replaced it were a lot of bodegas, which I love bodegas. You can't be New York City without a good old bodega. No, okay. or, tw- or 12. Or 12. <laughs> but but it becomes, it becomes kind of questioning when you have, you know, five on like a block, plus three beauty supply stores on a block. I'm not exaggerating. It's unfortunate, too, that cinema deserts are abundant in a lot of lower income, you know, communities. And it's far too often that not only do you have movie theaters, you don't have any like quality local entertainment venues or recreations. So now this trickled down to our youth who will come to an age where they are going to want to do things that are fun and engaging. Like you would just go to the movie theater. You would go to the movie theater, right. And not to say that movie theaters are going to cure gang violence, but the point is, is that when a kid needs something fun to do, when they go outside of their home and they look around, and all that they have access to is church, school, basketball courts, and stores to buy, like to purchase things at, and they don't even have jobs yet. Like movie theaters are, are were the place that you went to with your friends. This is a perfect space, a safe space, even to think and to be selfless, to look at somebody else's story, to see your own story reflected and push back onto you, for you to think that maybe I have something to say and somebody would actually want to listen. There's something unique that I want to share with you. That so that it's not it's there's so many layers to the importance of a movie theater that is so much beyond just. The, like two hours of entertainment, it's so much deeper than that. And it means so much more for people that don't have access to high quality recreational activities, period. You see
1: that need and you know the role that you want to play in it. You, you know what you want your mission to be. How do you get from that to action? I mean, what were the steps? I know you pursued government grants. I know that you didn't go the route of like, looking for a, a storefront or brick and mortar, you're kind of more, more nomadic. What exactly like is Polyfo in terms of just like the logistics of it?
0: Yeah. So, um, when I knew that I wanted to be a movie theater owner, the first thing I thought was, well, I'm going to go to school to be a movie theater owner and there is no such degree. And so I started working at film festivals because there's a position called the venue manager or the the theater manager. And I start, as you said, I'm nomadic. So I started hopping around from film festival to film festival to film festival as a venue manager. So I would work at Sundance and I would work at Tribeca and I would work at, you know, um, Palm Springs International Film Festival, Camden International Film Festival. And little by little, I gained these skills on how to run a theater. But after a few years, five years, six years, I started to realize that I I did not actually know the business of how to run a movie theater. All I knew was how to kind of move around the audience, keep the audience happy. Like, right. Well, kind of how to keep things running, how to keep like things how running to keep the doors open. In the actual theater, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, okay, so the lights are going on. The sound quality is great. The film is great. Like awesome. And now let's start the show, but that's not what it takes. But like booking and like film splits and all that kind of thing. I discovered CinemaCon. And I also discovered the art house convergence. That became my new, you know, that became my school of exhibition. Every year that I was going, I was taking in so much information and asking questions, and it was a phenomenal place to be. CinemaCon, I realized, is for the multiplex theater owners. And that there was a whole other world of independent movie theater owners. And that's when I learned about the art house convergence and that community of people that really have to sit down and think about how they're going to survive every single day. The pandemic happened actually and film festivals just shut down. The world shut down, right? And so I decided to go to graduate school and I with a primary focus on on cinema. And I found this very specific curriculum and a program at the New School in Manhattan and I used that opportunity not only to just, I minored in cinema, but I actually focused on entrepreneurship. And it took me so much time to realize how I was going to figure out my way to becoming an exhibitor because I was like, okay, I thought film festivals, but no, film festivals taught me how to manage people and get a film started on time. That's not all of it. Then I started going to conferences. That was amazing. I realized I could ask questions directly to cinema exhibitors, but still I needed more time. But going back to school and having learned everything from prior, you know, a lot of exhibitors just looked at me straight face and they said, Eileen, you're running a business. We all love the dreamy parts of movie theaters, but you're running a business. You got to put butts in seats. And that's the reality. So you need to learn numbers and numbers need to tell your story. That was the first time I'd really figured that out seven years later. And so going back to school and getting uh, my degree in entrepreneurship and also continuing to take cinema classes, that's how I got to a point where I learned I can apply for grants. So then I graduate and I have a, a business plan in hand and I start applying for grants because that's I was trying to bring this initiative and bring it in for free to specific community. So I applied. For were you, was the plan
1: back then, like at this point, were you already thinking of bringing screenings in, into low-income
0: housing projects? Yes. Is that already so, like the plan? So okay. That's a great question. So yes, I love cinema. I love cinema. But because my first um, experience with the movie theater happened in Canarsie and because I had seen the neighborhood change so much, I knew right away that Canarsie would be the first place I'd want to launch and well, to pilot this idea, it was the perfect place. And as I started to learn more about what the community needs were, it just fired me up. And it ass- it, it, reass- it assured me that I was doing the right thing for the right reasons, with the right intentions, like everything just made sense. And especially as I started speaking to more community stakeholders in Canarsie, I was speaking to residents about what I wanted to bring to the community. And it was like, okay, this can work.
1: And then, then you need money, and then so you, okay, you apply for the grants, and then it's like, oh, actually, I actually have to put, I put the, have to put this on. I mean, your first
0: screening was last
1: summer. It was you said it was Get Out.
0: Oh yes, yeah. so 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 it was last summer. We screened Get Out, and there's such a funny story to that. But the idea was that I was sharing at the university. in my classes. I would talk about you know paleo cinema and bringing movie theaters back to my childhood community, and my professor said well, you seem to have figured it all out, but without the community's opinions in mind, Eileen. And I was like, oh, mm. interesting. So she said, I want you to go into these communities and speak to them and ask them what they see a movie theater would look like and how that would serve them. And that's when I started, when I started to do that I realized that this was beyond me. This was beyond my childhood dream and that this actually was something that could be healing for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. instead of me just constantly saying, I want a movie theater and I see the sparkly marquee in my dreams, my, my vision, it really became, what can the movie theater provide? What is happening in mm-hmm. this? What what is actually needed? What is actually like. needed, and then how can we use cinema as that conduit to to support the, all of the needs that are happening, or support as many needs as possible? And then I applied for this grant, right? Because I had there was I had information, I had data that showed that this community was lacking recreations, crime was high, especially in teens and young adults. All of this data plus my business plan and plus my solution. And so now I just needed to like put this all together. I needed to, and in order to do that, I needed money. So I applied for a grant, the mayor's office of criminal justice launched this amazing grant called the safe in the city grant. And I ended up getting a grant of $8,000. First grant. I'm like so ecstatic. I'm jumping for joy. And then it becomes real. I'm like, oh my goodness, like I really need to do this. And now to some people, Ah. they're just like, uh, a movie theater is millions of dollars. But for me, it's like $8,000. I'm like, I didn't have $8,000 the day before and now I have $8,000. So that's when I reached out to a rental company that brings the screens to you, whether indoors or outdoors, I found the most affordable rates. And okay, what movie are we showing, right? I wanted the community to, to decide that. So I would go around all of Canarsie, Focusing predominantly on New York City housing development. So like the projects, essentially Brookline projects and Bayview projects. And I would just go around scooting with my flyers, very old school. And I'd post flyers on the elevator and people's doors. And eventually these, these kids would follow me and they're like, yo, miss, what are you doing? And I'm just like, well, we're going to have a movie screening this Saturday here at the community center in your neighborhood. You know, you got to come through. And they're like, "Okay, what are you going to what are you going to be showing? And I was like, well, you tell me, let's do a vote right now. Let's do it. And then they would tell me all these movies. And so we eventually uh, created a list of films and we ended up on horror films. Like horror just seemed to be the number one thing from all the older teens and young adults. I mean, that's one of the best genres to watch with a group anyway, so like... It was great. Hell yeah. It was such an amazing thing. And so we we settled on Get Out, which is great. And um, I was so lucky that that summer, because the community center there, um, Brook Helen Community Center, which has been around for decades, they were like, yeah, you can do the screening right here, right outside the community center. I was like, oh, this is so perfect. And they were like, and because we love what you're doing, We actually work with summer youth workers that are from the ages of 14 and up. And so we can lend them to you and they can help you with marketing. They know this neighborhood better than you. So let them kind of take you around and they'll tape up with you and they'll talk to community members with you. So can you imagine I have like 18 year olds, 21 year olds helping me talk to people and they're all just like, yeah, pull up, pull up, pull up. We're we're watching Get Out this weekend and everybody needs to be there. So I'm thinking... This is going to be the biggest turnout ever for my screening. And I'm like, I'm going to have so many teens and young adults. The demographic that I think has needs the most recreations right now, because the crime last year was so high. Canarsie and that specific area, Brook Helen, had, they called it like a bloody summer because it had back-to-back gun shootings within a span of a week, just a block away from where we were going to be screening that weekend. And so the police department, the 69th police department, they definitely had to be on site to support us and to ensure a safe screening. And so what happened was, teens and young adults saw police officers show up and some of them did not want to come. So I'm thinking, okay, great. We're gonna have all these teens and young adults. They chose Get Out and representation is amazing. Of course, Jordan Peele won a screenplay Oscar. It's just everything about that felt right for that community in terms of representation, entertainment, great film. But the teens and the young adults are not coming across the street. I'm watching them. Watch me. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, because Popo right there. No. No! And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. No one's going to show up. The movie starts. And you know what? A bunch of kids come pouring in. And senior citizens come with their chair, and they're like, Miss, do you mind if we come in? Like, we got nothing else to do this weekend. And I'm like, yes! But then for the little kids, I was like, where's your mom? This is an R-rated film. The mom comes right behind me, and she's just like, oh, they know this film so well. Like, they know, like, basically all the lines of this movie. So I'm like, okay. So,
1: like, you're you're not meeting necessarily, like, the, the need that you initially set out in terms of, you know, the youth that you wanted to get in. But, like, you realize that there was a whole separate need that you maybe
0: didn't even anticipate. 100%. That's what I noticed. The first, but the first thing I'm thinking, I'm just like, the cinema police are going to shut me down. I'm like, how could I be my first screening and I have a bunch of nine and 10-year-olds coming to see Get Out? CinemaCon would be so disappointed in me. Like, I was so ashamed <laughs> and embarrassed. <laughs> but you know, a community member came up to me. And she was like, why do you Why do you look so down? She was like, She's like, Eileen, look around. She was just like, the community showing up for you. She was like, you're seeing that, yeah, the teens, the young adults, they won't come today. They'll show up eventually. But the rest of the community is showing up. This is amazing. This is a turnout. And that's when I realized people could be anywhere in the world. But when one person, even if one person shows up for you, that's an audience. Period. It's an audience. And to to see that a handful of kids and seniors and, uh, and parents coming and telling me this feels like I'm in Central Park. Okay. So now remember, I just said a second ago that at that corner, they had considered the bloodiest block of that summer because of multiple shootings for somebody to come to me and say, this feels like I'm at Central Park. Another person comes to me later that night and says, you know, my kids, I'm here, but my kids are with their father and they're watching through the window across the street in a building. They're watching from the window what's happening and they're watching this film. Another person, this one really got to me. They said to me, why did you choose to do this here? And I was like, well, why not? This is my childhood community. I love Canarsie. And they said, well, yeah, but this is such a bad neighborhood. Why would you choose us? And that, to me, like to think that we have allowed certain people to believe that a movie screening is above them. Like you don't, you don't deserve to go to a movie. Like that's the thing that brings people together. That's the thing that gets you to stop thinking about the other things happening in your life. The escape, right? This is the moment. This is the moment we're supposed to come together, have shared experiences, and to know that there were so many people in that space that believe that because their neighborhood wasn't ideal. To have them believe that they are undeserving of a movie screening, two hours of just pure storytelling. I mean, you know, somebody once told me humanity needs to have fun and having and going to the movies is a good time. Like humanity needs a good time and the movie theater is a good time. We owe it not even just for the people that I'm trying to serve, but to everybody to keep the movie going business alive and to, to keep it alive in the way that we remember at its core and its foundation. It is just about bringing people together for stories, shared stories. That's what we're doing. So we had that one experience and it was just phenomenal. So
1: you have that test case and it maybe like doesn't work out exactly the way you thought it would, but it does work out. Where do you go from there in terms of, of making it replicable? You know, this is not just a one-off. This is something that you want to keep doing.
0: Okay. So in that, I love that you said that because that question is so important because when I wrapped that first screening, a, a kid came up to me and he said, miss, are you coming back? And that was a question that I felt like, well, of course, right? Because so many organizations will come into communities and, and it feels like a one-off and you just can't- On the up. other hand, like you have $8,000. Right. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Like you can't, but you know, you can't, you can't just come in. I have to figure out how to make this last throughout the entire summer, but also I needed to move around to the other NYCHA houses. So like there are more than one project house in Canarsie. So I was always going back and forth to all of them. And I, and every time I finished a screening, it was always the same thing where like families would come in that I wasn't expecting to come in, but they'd have this amazing experience. And they would ask, are you coming back? Will this be here again? And I and that's again, I knew I was like, Okay, so I'm doing something right and I'm doing something that is needed and wanted by the community and because everything was so led based on their opinions of like what movie are we choosing even down to the concessions I was getting all the concessions for them with the grant I was like, well what type of snacks do you want and, and 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 what type of trivia should we do before and what type of giveaway should we have before the screening and I would also invite community mm-hmm. members That's it's, it's like it's an it's an event oh, yeah. like it's a whole it's a whole event and the funny thing is the movie theater movie theater owners also are they are definitely in this phase right now where they have to figure out how to get audiences in these seats so they're coming up with all kinds of things too and so i I get it for them it's just like okay the movie is enough but there's so much opportunity because you are going to have a large crowd there what else can you do with them what else can you teach them i would invite youth to come and perform before the movie so i'd have a teenager just playing the guitar He'd be strumming the guitar as people are getting their seats. But this is an opportunity to highlight him. And I remember him saying, thank Mm -hmm. you so much, because I I practice home all the time. But this is the first time that I ever performed in, in, in front of a crowd. And I thought, this is amazing that I could do that. That the movie screening could pull people in, but that we could surprise them with so much more. We were able to invite community members to donate other things like PPE supplies. We were handing out masks and we were handing out um, you know, Purell bottles. We were all for free, all for free. And this is why I was so thankful that I had this grant, that I was able to do that. But then once the summer was coming to a close, that's fine. We're heading into fall and obviously the outdoor screening wouldn't work as well as we go into the different seasons. But I knew I was like, how am I going to keep this going? How am I going to keep this alive? You had CinemaCon coming up. You're like, all right, I'm going to CinemaCon with a list of questions. Yeah, a list of questions and determined to find out how I can take it up a step, like how I can go from this like level one movie theater owner to like, okay, what does level two look like? And I was like, it has to be that I own my own equipment. And the second portion to that is how do I find equipment that will allow me to screen films earlier than when the sun goes down. Now the sun is my enemy because it's the most powerful thing. It's like, if the sun's up, you can't show screenings. Uh, you can't do an outdoor movie screening. But like
1: you don't want to be have a start in movie at like nine thirty at night. Like if seniors are coming, if
0: kids are coming, right. And that's something that I had to learn is that they did love the event so much. But then when it started to get really late for them, some of them would have to peek out. It's like we love what you're doing. We want to come back next weekend. But like my kiddo is, it's getting too late. It's it's about to be ten o'clock. So when I went, so then when I go to CinemaCon, I. I knew that when I got there, I would have to find somebody who was like a projectionist expert, and there's so many of them there. But I was able to come back and say, so I'm showing movies at 8:30. Is there such a technology outside? Outside. outside <laughs> is there such a technology that would allow me to show screenings maybe just before the sun goes on? Even 7:30, even 8. It would mean so much to me. And when I walked into that room with NEC, Sharp NEC, I asked these questions. And, and that's when I met somebody who just had so much to say. He was just like, well, you have to have higher lumens and you ha- and it has to look like this. And if you have your screen facing this way, then maybe there's a possibility. And he was so fascinated by my question, but he also was very transparent about the realities of the sun and the realities of the environment but, but I, I really felt like I could do it. I was just like, I, I think we can make this happen. And we can, we can. So I was thankfully donated a refurbished laser projector from Sharp NEC because they saw the value in what I was doing. They saw the value of what, oh my goodness. I'm, I was. They saw the value in what their projector could do at my events and the impact that it could have on community members attending these screenings, and now I'm just getting the other little pieces. You know, it's so funny. Another friend of mine from the industry, he said, "You know what? You need a Blu-ray DVD." I heard, and I was like, "Yeah, I do." He was like, "Well, I get Xboxes sent to me on a daily, and I just have like 20 laying around, and they're new. Do you, the Xbox will work for you." I love that. And I'm like, "Okay." So now I have a Sharp NEC projector. I have an Xbox donated, and little by little. The community is coming for me. They're coming to support me and help me to have all the other pieces. So now I'm like, all right, now I need a screen and now I need the audio and I'm getting there. I see a few more pieces and I'm almost um, I'm almost at a point where I can have, you know, all of this equipment that I own that I can use all the time and have more screenings for people that are living in cinema deserts. I just want to be there for them as much as I possibly can. Have you been able to have any screenings so far this summer? I mean, I know you would have to still rent
1: some of the equipment. Oh,
0: yeah. I, I should tell you, I was actually, um, the mayor's office of criminal justice, I when I gave them my rap report of how the last summer went, they were so impressed by my report and the pictures and the sound bites and just all of the local newspapers that covered my story that they just recently decided to fund me again. So uh, I know, I know. Um, So I'm really, really excited. It's around the same amount. And I'm just looking to see if I can still get a few more donations here and there, because then that'll allow me to support other artists that may want to be involved or to hire an intern to help and learn how this business works. But otherwise, my grant should be i be funding me in just a week or so, and I'll be able to get some of the pieces that I've been missing. The idea is that I will have a popcorn machine maker. I will have a generator. I'll have all the cords that I need. And, and I'll have hopefully enough money left over to, well, I have to. But the idea is that I have to pay for all the public performance licenses to show this to the public. And when you want to show mm-hmm. a lot of movies. Make, it's all legal above board yeah, with government yeah, money. <laughs> so I have to still buy the movies. I have to buy the, the licenses to show the films. I have to still get an audio equipment and a screen and a generator. So um, I'm so thankful for this grant because it's going to allow me to do a lot of the things that I want to do, but still it's, I would be right above my budget with all of the things that I still need to get. So I'm still looking. I'm-
1: for people listening to, to this podcast who maybe are interested in, in helping you out or, or have some ideas of where you can look or even just want to keep up on, on what Polyfo is doing, how can they find you? What's what's the best way for them to kind of keep up on the, the project you're doing? Yeah, no,
0: keep up on this fun project because there's so much more to come. I'm just really getting started and learning as I go and the best way for people to follow the work of palais cinema is on my instagram page it's at cinema underscore captain cinema underscore captain yeah Mm -hmm. okay and just making sure because i always wear my captain hat it's my it's my like i'm always like commanding the ship and it's my look it's like a movie captain basically i'm a movie captain but people like to joke that like oh you're like the where's waldo of cinema because we always recognize (laughs) you if we see the girl with the captain hat that's eileen but yeah, it's, it's a great way to see the audience that I'm serving. It's a great way to see the space in which I'm doing these movie screens. And it's also a great way to see all of the people that come out to learn how to put the movie screening together, because I don't do it by myself. That would be so boring. I have them help me. So you'll have like teens and young adults coming, and we're setting up everything together. We, we set up everything together. They help me with concessions. They help me with everything, from choosing the movie... From deciding who we're marketing to, the design of my logo, the design of the flyers—that's so great. It's it's
1: so heartwarming because it's like just just because you don't you don't have a brick and mortar space, but that doesn't mean that anything really. In this, I mean, you're still bringing that same magic in terms of the movies and the screenings, but also getting people to be interested in it and to love the power that
0: cinema has to create these communal events. I'm learning so much. No, I, I love that you're so excited. I'm so excited. I I love how much I've learned about the, hu- this is about the human experience and I get to experience it with them all the time. I'm sitting right there in the audience watching these movies with them and it's the best feeling ever. And so, yeah, it's not just about the the, the building, Right. Do I want a movie theater? Of course. I totally want to still bring a movie theater back to Canarsie, brick and mortar, with that marquee and to know that the the community what they thought they didn't need, they now see the value in it. I have so many people now in Canarsie that they get it. They're like why, why don't we have a movie theater here? And before, they were not because it wasn't there. And so when you start to put something right in front of somebody and they see that it's a good time and it's good for them, for me, it's just really that pe- the people that I care so deeply for in this community and so many other communities that I have not been to, but places in the Bronx that struggle so much with poverty and also cinema deserts and just throughout the world, I just want the people to know that they are deserving. They are deserving of so many things, but especially a movie screening. And that's something that I'll always advocate for. And if not everybody always understands why I get so passionate about this. But I was just like, if you're passionate about people, then you are passionate about films. They go hand in hand. They're hand in hand. And I think when people come to see like the local politicians that sometimes are able to make time and be a part of the movie screening, they do see it. They do see it. And, I, I, and it took a long time for me to realize that, you know, you're going to want large numbers. But I was like, again, I was like, it's not, it's not about the large numbers yet. It's about those that come and the experience that they have. And if they have a great experience, they will tell other people. And then that is and awesome. creating a habit and creating a love and having longevity and creating community, a community that, that is so worthy of them. And so It's one step. It's a movie theater I'm talking about, but it's so much more than that. It's about revitalizing a community.
1: This has been the Box Office Podcast. Thanks to Chad Kenner, my co-host for this episode, and Eileen Baptiste, who was in our feature segment talking about her Polyfuse cinema program. Thanks to you for listening to this episode of the Box Office Podcast. We come out every Thursday. We are produced by Box Office Pro and the Box Office Company in collaboration with RecordEdit Podcast. Please like and subscribe and keep tuning in to keep up with with all the cinema news and, and box office predictions. Thanks and have a good one.